Let me welcome you back to your seat. Thank you for being here again. Appreciate your love for the Lord and love for this church. We're in a series that we are entitling A Divine Invitation. So we're in part two. It's going to be a four-week four week series. We are in the second installment today. This is not an invitation from God to me. So we're talking about a divine invitation. And at face value, we might think, well, that is God inviting me. That's not what this series is about, nor is that what the text is about that we're going to read in just a minute. It's not an invitation from God to me, but from me to him. Last Sunday, we read the first part of verse 23. In Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me to know my heart. If you look back at the beginning of that particular psalm, verse 1, Psalm 139, the writer says, You have searched me and known me. So interesting. Like, starts off with, you have searched me and known me, okay? And then at the end, invites God to search me and know me. I think a lot of times we figure stuff is done. I think that's some subtext today for me in this message is that we feel like God has done it. Like God knows, and so it's all said, there's nothing really else to do, and there are things that we can do. And I want to hope to open our awareness to see that very thing today, that in our walk with him, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Okay. And then 20 verses later, the request, the divine invitation, the invitation for the divine to search me, O God, and know my heart. We talked about surrendering every room, every aspect of our heart and our life. And, and to know would mean to, to for, you're asking God to ponder and think and consider. Actually, actually look through us. Intimacy, right? Intimacy is intimacy. Like, see those areas of my life. See my heart. Search me, oh God, and know my heart, my feelings. That's what we, that's what we hammered on last week. We talked through all that stuff. My feelings. The emotions, and today, we'll take this second phrase. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. We're inviting God to do something so he can know. We're asking God to do something so he can know. It's still an invitation to know me. But we're moving from feelings to thoughts, and we recognize that our feelings can drive our thoughts. There's a progression in these last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart feelings. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way. That's behavior. So from feeling to thinking to acting, there's this, this almost linear transition before the final phrase, lead me in the way everlasting. 
It's the idea of doing our work. But we're actually opening ourselves up for the Lord to do that work in us. In 2023, we address anxiety through several different ways. One of the ways is something called CBT. It stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. So there is a therapy discipline, CBT, Cognitive Thinking Behavior Therapy, the transition of those. It's challenging our thoughts is really what it is. You sit with a therapist and they, they challenge your thoughts and they, they check the facts for you. Like what's, okay, I know what you're feeling, but what's really going on? I know the behavior that you're having and I know what you're feeling, but it's thoughts that are even erroneous. In our freedom curriculum, we've got the blue book. If you've ever gone through the freedom curriculum, it just says freedom. And underneath that, I tell folks, you can just write, what is the truth? Because we know that it is the truth makes us free. So really, CBT is just simply challenging our thoughts and checking facts and asking the question from a secular standpoint of just, what's the truth? What's, what's the truth here? There's something else called exposure therapy, and that ought to tell you exactly what it is. <laughs> You expose people to the thing they're anxious about. You expose them to the thing where they feel fear. Like they climb the ladder. I have a fear of heights. Well, we're going to climb the ladder. We're going to do one step, and they're running two steps. How are you doing here? And you face it. You're literally exposed to it. You sit in the thunderstorm, and you hear the thunder that caused anxiety or fear, and you're exposed to it. You pet the dog, Right? I'm afraid of dogs, but we're going to show you this little guy's okay. I'm going to hold his head over here, and you're going to pet his little bottom over here, and we're going to work our way into that. It is exposure therapy. There's a third thing that we do called mindfulness. Mindfulness is just having a conscious choice to tune in. Like, just stop and tune in. Like, what's going on? What's going on here? I know what I'm feeling, but, but what's happening? And a lot of times in mindfulness... We practice just breathing, just breathing, which is good because that's something all of us can do, right? Breathing is something we can all do, and especially when we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit to recognize that I can, in my mind, this isn't psychobabble. Today, Sunday afternoon in the golf tournament, there's going to be somebody lining up a four-foot putt, and they are going to go, <laughs> that's what they're going to do. They're going to take a deep breath and let it out. In a baseball game, they're going to go through the thing with their gloves and all that and tap the bat and that whole thing, and they're going to do that. There is this thing, you're going to shoot free throws. Is that true? My, my, my man, my Brian, right? That's what we do. There's this thing about breathing that really releases the anxiety, releases the tension, helps us step up and out of the moment. And when we can realize, there was a fellow we heard years ago, and he said it this way. He said he feels like when he breathes in, it's, Yahweh, Yahweh. That's what he thinks of. 
He breathes in Yah and exhales way, Yahweh. He thinks of his, and that could be cheesy, I don't know, it works for him. But I think it work. It's a recognition. It's the idea of spirit and pneuma and breath, and that's what that is working through us. There's also medications, of course, for anxiety. But did you know there's Bible CBT too? Did you know that? Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, King James Version. Yeah, it's in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. They can throw it up there for me. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, it's nice when the Bible does that, right? I'm anxious. Well, stop. <laughs> okay, that'll be $39.95. Thank you so much. Like, just stop. Or some marriage, you know, you need to get better at communicating. Okay, well, I knew that before I came to your seminar. What do we do? All right, what do we do? Don't be anxious about anything, but in how many situations? We're encouraged that in every, every situation, everyone, prayer, petition, repeated prayer, and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is almost like, and in fact it is, the mindfulness that helps us step up and out of a situation. As we become thankful, as we express our thanksgiving, what are we doing when we're expressing that? Here's the deal. If Evan is feeling anxiety, I'm not feeding him, hey, man, I'm really thankful for my car, and I'm thankful for my house and my boat. And he's like, Andy's thankful for... No, no, that's not... I'm not feeding him stuff where somebody's just pumping it into you. You are doing it. We're doing it individually. We're stopping. Stopping. Choosing to tune in to gratitude. Choosing to tune in to being thankful. I don't know if it's a true story. There was the guy that was so mad he didn't have any shoes. He didn't have anything to be thankful about. And then he met the guy that didn't have feet. And he realized he had something to be thankful about. Like, we can do that. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer, let it be known. Here's where I am. Prayer is conversation. Here is the conversation with the Spirit. Here is where I am. And... In the midst of trouble, in the midst of the anxious moment, in the middle of the anxiety, neck deep, waves coming over us, we're practicing gratitude, which means I have to stop looking at everything else, stop looking at the triggers, stop looking at the precipitating experiences, the moments, stop looking at those, go, what can I be thankful for here? (laughs) And when the gratitude starts to come out, We literally lift ourselves up out of those moments, present our request to God. Do you have a verse 7 up there? Ah, the peace of God. Then, which passes all understanding, transcends all understanding, guards our what? Guards our, our feeling and our what else? Our thoughts. The peace of God then is able to keep or guard. This says heart and mind. I will say feelings and thoughts. 
It's able to then uphold us. That is a promise. And the promise works not because we threw a lucky dart. The promise works because we gave that. We acknowledged the moment through prayer. That's what prayer would be. We acknowledge what's going on, what we're feeling right now, where, we're, where we feel like we are. And then we come with gratitude. That's awesome. It's an awesome formula for awareness and lifting ourselves up and out. Now that's verse 7. We usually stop there, but we're going to continue because this is Bible CBT. We're going to keep doing this. What's verse 8 say? And brothers and sisters, whatever, what is it that sets us free again? Whatever is true. When we challenge our thoughts, when we challenge our thinking, I know what you're feeling. I get it, 100%. I'm not disqualifying what you're feeling, but I am going to challenge what you're thinking And so we want to think on what is true. Let's read it together. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, yeah, 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 we're going to think about those things. Exactly. That's the stuff that we're going to think about. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious Thoughts, the acknowledgement that we do, in fact, have anxious thoughts. (laughs) We do. And how do we address those? It's a couple years ago, summer 2021. That was the first time I had a panic attack, my first anxiety attack two years ago. I've counseled people for 30 years to that point. I've been in ministry for 32 years. So 30 years to that point, I'd counsel people. And uh, in error, when they told me they had a panic attack, I was like, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. And I, in fact, did not know what they were suffering through until it happened. And it was rough. It was rough. I just spent five days in Miami. I didn't bring my bike. We didn't climb any mountains. I didn't conquer anything. I just sat in a chair under a palm tree or on the beach under an umbrella and read a book. That was work for me, actually, and I finally got through it and it calmed me down. I just sat there for five days, ate good, took it easy, had an RV, drove it from Miami up to Panama City and hung out with Sharon's son, Caleb, And he let us pull right up to the pier. I almost got the front bumper wet. We were so close to the water. Like, we were right there. Gave us a free five days of just hanging out on his property. And and I didn't pay a nickel. People would rent their pontoon in the morning. And they'd turn it in early. And he'd go, you can take the rest of the time. We'd get out there and run around on the pontoon. Just relaxed. That was the summer that Emma was thinking about colleges. And we were in Panama City, and I happened to notice that Birmingham is really just kind of right above that. So why don't we go by and see the college? So we did. So we drive by, see the college. I made a quick phone call. There were three of the most wonderful uh, young men and women that walked us through, and they were still building sections of it and new construction, and the, the, the rest of it was done. It was fantastic, absolutely fabulous. We're walking around in hard hats. 
and I'm walking behind with Chip, and Melinda's here talking to somebody else, and Emma's in the front, and they're trucking her through the whole place, you know, and we're doing this college tour. And then that night, we went back to Oak Mountain State Park, which is this big deal in southern Birmingham. Thousands of acres, golf course, horseback riding, cycling, all kinds of, of course, lakes, all kinds of things. And they had like one spot left. And I parked this RV in a spot like this, you know. I could have reached out my window and touched the other two campers, I think. So I was already feeling a little cramped. Went to sleep that night. Kids were in their bunks. Melinda was still up. Something hit me in the middle of the night. And I came up off that bed. Couldn't breathe, gasping, choking. Went into the main area there in the little kitchenette. I'm on all fours. I'm asking Melinda to pray for me. I'm like, dear God, what is going on here? I was wheezing and just couldn't. <laughs> that whole, it was, it was horrible, horrible. I looked at my watch. It was 1.30. I said, we are leaving here. <laughs> uh, we're out of here. I got out of there and unplugged stuff and unhooked the sewer line and unhooked the cable. And vroom, we drove out. I said, there's a Cracker Barrel up the road about four miles, and I'm going to go stand in the parking lot for a little while, which is exactly what I did. Drove up there, got out of that thing, and just walked around that parking lot at 2.30 in the morning, thinking, dear God, what is going on here? Had no idea what was going on. Had no idea the triggers. What I didn't tell you, and what I've come to understand is that there were things I was afraid of. And it wasn't being parked in between two RVs. But that particular day, and if you've watched any of the Freedom Curriculum, you know Chris Hodges says the same thing, that he had this wonderful, relaxing week. And then all the stuff that he'd been pushing his body through, once he relaxed, his body said, okay, got something to tell you. That's probably what happened. I had this 10 days, totally relaxed. Take my baby girl to college, which, of course, I'm super excited for her to go, but there's still fear that I have. Walked her through that place, and what I've come to realize is I was very afraid of losing her. Very afraid of losing her, and that just triggered something deep in me. But I also came to realize this. It was the summer of 2021. She was 17 years old. When my parents died, I was 17 years old. Now, what I've come to find out since then, when I turned 50, which is when they died, they were both 50 years old, I thought that would be the deal when I was their age. Because my brothers, now that we all passed 50, we're like high-fiving each other every birthday. We're like, made another one, man, you know? That wasn't it. I was talking to a colleague out in D.C., a counselor, therapist, and She's, she's uh, in her 80s, actually. She's like, yeah, mm -hmm. well, that's how it works. I said, how what works? Well, it's not really when you're their age, but it's when your child was your age. I said, I wish someone would have told me that because nobody did. And they didn't have to because it hit me. When she was my age, my fear of losing her was one thing, but my fear of her losing me was another very big thing. And all of that together made this wonderful little cocktail <laughs> that I dealt with for 18 months. And I could be sitting in rooms. Nancy, I was saying about you one time, you asked Melinda and I to come by your store. 
We're going to talk to you about some stuff. It was 5 o'clock, and we just ran up there real quick to see Nancy. If you've not been in her store, lovely, and all the consignment things. And we sat in these lovely Victorian chairs and shut the, the door to the mall, you know, and it's Melinda and Nancy and I, and we're sitting there. Melinda saw it later. She said, I saw you rub your head, which means I'm sweating and then something's going on. I sat in there, and all of a sudden, I don't even know what the trigger was in that space. I don't know. Man, all of a sudden, the wall started coming in. And I'm like, I need to go stand in the parking lot again. I gutted it out in there. But I sat in there doing some of this mindfulness stuff, like, this is not, I get it. You see, the, you see anxiety is the fear of a feeling. The Bible tells us we have anxious thoughts. Anxiety isn't actually a fear. A fear is there's someone out there with a gun tapping on the window. That's a fear. Anxiety is the fear of a feeling. Because when you feel anxious, you feel an anxiety. I'm going to go out on, on a limb here and think I think it's true. Nothing in the room's actually changed. Nothing in the room's actually changed. The room was just the way it is now that it was 15 minutes ago. But something in our psyche, something in our thoughts, some trigger somewhere, I don't know, but we have anxious thoughts. And the invitation is to invite Jesus, the Spirit of God, into those anxious places. Because anxiety is both mental and physical. It's both. There's a mental thing and a physical response. And it is like a perceived threat. This something that is perceived, but nothing's changed. A lot of times our anxiety is about avoidance. And it brings a temporary relief, but it's only a temporary relief. I addressed it by talking my, to myself about the actuality of the situation. I really did. I just, I just, my thoughts overrode my feelings. I'm like, here's what I know is true. Nothing has changed in this room. Little by little, that thing would calm down. It was brutal for 18 months probably. And every once in a while, every once in a while, I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm like, uh-oh. Here it comes again. I don't even know why. You just feel, and I'm like, well, we're not doing that. Nope. What is true? Inviting Jesus into those spaces. Someone told me recently, God wired us with skills to survive, but we were not created only to survive. An anxiety response is a survival skill. We're wired for that. Like, that's a response that we're wired for, to survive. But we're not meant to just survive. We're not meant to go minute to minute and day to day and barely hanging on. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart and try me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. Because as I said earlier, the progression of these verses, feeling, thought, action. And all behaviors have that. There's a trigger, there's a feeling, there's a thought, there's a behavior, there's a consequence. That's just, that's just true. The prayer here, would you throw that up there again, Psalm uh, 139, verse 23. The prayer here is not search me. The prayer is test me. Not a searching, but a testing. A test is any situation that demands more from you than you think you have to give. A test will be anything that demands more from me than I actually think I have to give in the moment. That ought to produce enough anxiety on its own. I'm being asked to do something here 
that I feel inadequate, incapable. When you think about working out, like, like exercise, workout, lifting weights, running, putting in the miles. Putting in the miles. That made your heart happy, didn't it, Isaac? How, do you have any idea how many miles a week you run? Make up some really big number because none of us are going to know. <laughs> 25 miles a week? How long's your actual race? Three miles. Is that a 5K? So... 25 miles a week to run three. What is wrong with his coach? <laughs> right? Like, dude, run three miles. You're only running three miles in the game, right? You're only running three miles in the race. Why are you running 25 miles a week? Well, you know. Because you've been there. You work yourself, you practice in situations that you anticipate. So that when the situation happens, you've been there. Military ops are like that. You go and you train and you crawl and you get dirty, you get sweaty, and you crawl under things and people shoot stuff at you. And you work through all that mess. And these are your buddies. These are your friends. You're going to go out and hang out with them later. You're going to have dinner after all this. But you put yourself in those situations to test you, to put you in this spot so you've been there before. A phrase that we hear today when something's really going down, somebody will walk up and go, this is not a drill. <laughs> this is not a drill, right? This is a live fire experience, right? We do all these other things. Test us so we will be ready. We push ourselves. We push ourselves in controlled environments in order to test ourselves to know. To know. To know that we have the grit. When you're going through training, the coaches are watching you. They're watching to see what you got in the test. So on game day, you got it in the tank. There's a story in Genesis of Abraham. And in your Bible, if you have an NIV Bible, it gives headings. And the heading on Genesis 22 says, Abraham tested. It says, Abraham tested. I looked this up in the mitzvah, and it, it said that according to Hebrew tradition, Abraham was tested nine different times. But this one was solo. This one he was alone. He takes his son Isaac. The Lord calls to him, Abraham, and he says, yes, Lord. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, and, and, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Tells him where to go. It says Abraham gets up the next morning, gathers the wood, gives the wood to Isaac. So Isaac is, man, a lot, of, a lot of references to you today. So Isaac is big enough to carry the wood. Which means he's big enough to know what's going on. This is like middle schooler. Preteen, teenager. Abraham's told to offer his son as a sacrifice. And do you know what is interesting about the scripture? He never asks God how to do it. How, how should I do that? You know it was done all the time. You know it was common in his era. It was common in the era of Abraham to offer your children to appease the gods. To us, we'd be like, what in the whoa, 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 you know, no way. But for them, 
That was a common request. That the gods ask for that thing that you value most. We've got men cutting themselves and bleeding out, for goodness sakes. You can read story after story of the detestable god Molech, who they would throw children. Horrible. Horrible. He didn't have to ask anything about it. He knew exactly what to do. It's a three-day journey. He takes his boy for three days, goes up the mountain, prepares the altar, puts out the wood, has the fire in his hand, has the knife, ties up Isaac, lays him on the altar, the whole thing. And here we go. Verse 12. He says, don't lay your hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Because now I know that you fear God. Such a curious statement. Now I know. Do we even believe that? I mean, really, do we even believe God can learn a thing or two? Is that what we're saying here? Now I know, the Lord says. Now I know that you fear me. You haven't withheld your son from me. I'm testing your anxious thoughts, and now I know. I think about God's omnipresence, his omnipotence, his, his omniscience. And I think, I think many times we just swallow that. that. Yes, he's omnipotent. Yes, he's omnipresent. Yes, he's omniscient, knows everything, all-powerful, is everywhere. But I also think that sometimes we can miss some things that would actually be helpful in our walk with God if we gave a little bit of space. God is everywhere. Well, then what does it mean when we say, and when two or three are gathered together, he's in the midst of them? Why did we need to say that if he's already in the midst of us? Or are you going to receive Jesus into your heart, whatever the physiology is on that? Are you implying that he wasn't there or that he is there and now we're just going to say, yeah, like what is that, right? Everywhere, omnipresent. And we have, vis we, have, we have this visualization of all these different things, you know. I get it. God's all over. If he's ever limited, what about his power? Omnipotent, all-powerful. I've said this a few times from this pulpit. He couldn't do any great miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Scripture in the Old Testament talks about limiting the Holy One of Israel. That's probably a boundary that he's put on himself. I, I, he's God. What do I know about God? What do I, what, I don't know anything about God. That's, that's what makes him God. And omniscient, knowing all things, we believe that. And yet, there's this moment of now I know. And to me, the point here is not to lessen God at all. It's not to lessen God at all. The point is to recognize that I am inviting him to test me so he can know, so I can know. I look through every translation that's ever been created in the history of mankind. The International Standard Bible says this, I've just demonstrated that you fear God. The Aramaic Bible in plain English says, now I have made it known. Every other one says, so I can know. But the demonstration of it, demonstrating to him and demonstrating to ourselves, 
And do we have any space for the power and the purpose of that testing? Do we have space for that prayer? This divine invitation where we say, God, I'm not, you're not asking me. I'm asking you, test me and know my anxious thoughts. As I said earlier, anxiety is a feeling. It has a physiology, but it's an experience often produced by a different feeling. Anxiety is produced by a different feeling, often fear. So what is it that we would be afraid of? And it's the fear, maybe many times, the fear of losing, losing something. So I have this great fear of losing something. And because of that fear, I have anxiety in situations. But instead of inviting God into it, I muscle through it. And I also think, well, you know everything's going on. you got it all covered anyway. Can we invite him in? Do we have space for that? Was it true of Abraham? Was that what was driving this? Fear of losing Isaac? It was true of me at Oak Mountain State Park. I already told you that. True of me. It took me years, frankly, to realize it, that I was afraid of losing sis, and even more so, really, the real thing, is I was afraid of her losing me. And having been the kid that lost all that, I didn't want her to live that life. And I minimize it most of the time. I act like it's, uh, you know, people die. Uh. But I'm realizing how much I've rationalized it. I'm realizing how much I've minimized all that. And I realize the great fear that I had for her. And the anxiety that came from it. Again, Philippians 4, 6 tells us not to be anxious about anything. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Kind of like surrender from last week, right? You know why we're inviting him into it, right? Because we need him. Can't do it on our own. This isn't a proving myself moment. This is an I need you moment. This is a my father can be trusted moment. This is a God is good and he can be trusted moment. Abraham's hope was in Isaac, you know, literally. Isaac was the vehicle for all of Abraham's promises. So how do we handle it when God starts messing with the basket that has all our eggs in it? What is your basket with all the eggs in it? We've all got one. Maybe we got a few, but I guess we had a few. It's not all the eggs. So what's the thing that you put your hope and trust in? The thing that we naturally and normally, and there's no shame in it, we just rely so heavily on that being the thing that we covet and that we protect and that we hold so close. And how is our anxiety a reflection of our fears? And do we even think that prayer applies to us? I'll do the search me, oh God, know my heart part. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. I'm not really afraid of the test, but I don't really have any anxious thoughts. Okay? There's something in this that the writer sees as holy and healthy. Know my anxious thoughts. 
This is what we pray about. It's where we invite him to know us. We invite him into those spaces. You see, God was with Abraham, wasn't he? Wasn't he with him? Abraham's walking up one side of a mountain. The Bible doesn't tell us that he knew what was coming up the other side of the mountain. Just like we don't know. And we carry these events in our life and these relationships and these situations and these God callings. And we carry them. And we don't understand what God is doing on the other side of the mountain at the same time. And because of our limited understanding and openness to what God is doing over here, we're so anxious about this part. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But power, love, soundness of mind. The song that we're going to sing, I'm going to invite you to let it wash over you. In the bridge at the very end is the reason we selected it for us to sing today in our closing. Letting things be dropped off. Chains, fear, anxiety, worry. I feel like sometimes in a situation like this, I can say, Lord, I know what I'm anxious about, I'll let you know. But I don't really think that's the prayer. I think the prayer is test me and reveal. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and help me understand. Reveal things to me, Lord. Reveal the things in my life because we're not supposed to be anxious. Philippians 4, we're going to be anxious, but we're not supposed to be. And we don't have to stay anxious. You could quote Philippians 4 or 6, couldn't you? Be anxious for nothing. Some translations say, be careful for nothing. Be full of care about no thing. Prayer. Petition. Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God keeps us. So in these next few moments, as this song is played, you guys can start that. As this song is played and as we're praying here together, we're thinking about anxiety. We're thinking about relief. We're thinking about petition and prayer and thanksgiving. All of those things, we lay them down. I remember when I was uh, at Next Step and I was six weeks sober. It was the first time I received prayer. Peggy was standing back there and I had anxiety and I had fear. I didn't know what it was like to live a life with things to numb the anxiety and to numb the fear. And what happened that day that the Spirit of the Lord came over me and covered me, and he gave me peace. But what he's telling me today is different. He told me that that's milk. The solid food is not being covered, but it's releasing it. 
He said, if your temple is cold, I can cover you. I can give you blankets and I can give you warmth and comfort. Or I can change the temperature of the temple. Yesterday I was talking to a guy, first time in a church setting in a long time, dealing with loss and dealing with suffering and dealing with shame, father passing. And we're over in a corner, we're praying. I saw his Adam apple go, as something starting to break through. And he swallowed and I can feel whatever it was dipping. And the trick in that moment is to release it not to cover it up with the prayer, but to say up and out and to drop it. And then what happens is there's Moses saying, what am I gonna do with these people? And the Lord said, take your staff, tap on the rock and water will come out for your people. So instead of the hard ground and we're burying things and we're rugged, God wants to tap on that and he wants to open it up and then take that to his people. My challenge this week is that when you start to feel that thing, Andy talking about that anxiety attack, there's this thing in my stomach that starts to churn and I know a lot of people felt it today. The, the scarcity, maybe the newness of life, a sick loved one, a sick loved one. Instead of covering it up, we ask God to take those things up and out. I've been asking myself this whole time during freedom, I can tell people to bring things to Jesus. I can tell people to give it to God, but how? That's it. This week, we're gonna release thanks to the Lord. The people in this place are gonna have that relief. They're gonna have the breaking of the rock of the staff and they're gonna be changed forever. And we're gonna change the kingdom of God one releasing moment at a time. That's where the power of the testimony comes from. That's where the power of change comes from. If I were to continue just to cover up instead of release, I would not be who I am today. I wouldn't be able to step into the blessing that God's given me. Wife and kid, sobriety, all of those things. So instead of holding on to whatever you're holding on to today, whatever you're feeling in this moment, whatever it is that's bringing you tears, release it to God. Can we pray? Lord God, whatever that thing is in the pit of each person's stomach, God, I ask that you reach your hand into them and you take it. Before bed, when their minds are racing, God, whatever it is, they're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Should I, should I not, should I, should I not? We surrender that. For you did not give us the spirit of fear, you gave us the Holy Spirit, the one that's set apart to make a change. 
May this week be different. The person who's struggling with sobriety, the person who's struggling with anxiety, in your mighty name, may it be handed over. Have a great week, everybody.